Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The resurrection changes everything from those who are on the outside to become those who are on the inside. Now, it's important to set up the text today when we heard uh, Pastor share our words from Acts chapter 11. Chapters 10 and 9 are, are really important to kind of set the stage in the background for what's happening. See, Paul has, Saul rather, has just been persecuting people in the ways of Jerusalem. Stephen was recently killed. Then Saul was converted and came to Jerusalem and learned and became the Apostle Paul. Peter goes from Jerusalem to Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv, and begins teaching and preaching there. But in Caesarea, not a Jewish community, a centurion named Cornelius was somebody who loved God. And he saw in a vision that he was to send three men to Joppa to find a man named Peter to bring him back to himself. The next day, Peter was given this vision with a sheet held by four corners containing all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. And he heard God say, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, no, they're unclean. This happens three times, and then God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, while they were while Peter is still pondering this, the three men from Cornelius came, and the Lord said to Peter, go with them without question. So the next day, Peter gets up and goes with them to Caesarea, and he shares a message of the gospel with Cornelius. And while this is happening, something absolutely amazing happens. The Spirit falls upon all of these Gentiles just like it did on Pentecost for all of the Jews who had gathered together, and they begin speaking in tongues. We have a, a second Pentecost, a, a non-Jewish, a Gentile Pentecost happening, and Peter baptizes them, Gentiles, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem. But meanwhile, rumor has gotten to Jerusalem faster than Peter can travel, and all of a sudden the church has been all abuzz about what Peter did to Gentiles, and they are not happy about it. They were critical. They start making distinctions between the two, between Jews and Gentiles, and how Gentiles were to come to Jesus. And these distinctions, they led to discrimination. We hear in verse 2 and 3, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now to call them the circumcision party almost sounds like we've got the very first division of denominations, the circumcision party. And it's important to have a good working understanding of what circumcision was really about because it was a strong mark that was attached to the messianic promise for God to send his savior. You see, God long time ago changed Abram's name to Abraham, from exalted father to father of multitudes. And through one of Abraham's offspring, all nations would be blessed. Now this mark of circumcision connected to the process of reproduction was a constant reminder that every time a child was conceived and was born, 
They would remember that messianic promise that a Savior one day would come from Abraham's descendants. But circumcision began to change in the minds of people. Instead of it being a mark that would remind them of God's gracious promise to send a Savior, it became a work that they legalistically did to please God, to maintain a right relationship with Him, to be a work-based relationship. But Paul teaches us that Abraham believed in this promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not the fact that he did it obediently to make him righteous. It was his faith in the promise that that mark would remind him of. His faith was credited as righteousness. Succeeding generations performed this act of circumcision and counted it as, as the proof. It was the mark. It was the work they did that would bring them into God's family instead. That made me wonder if perhaps that's not how we see some things that we do in our church. Take confirmation, for example. Right Across the church nationally, I think that there are many people who, who believe that because I had to do this, my child's going to have to do this. Or that's the right thing to do. It's what we do. But I wonder how many come into that experience and that encounter with confirmation to say, I can't wait for my young child to grow in their relationship and their knowledge and their love of Christ and what he's done for them. To be able to have that moment then on confirmation to boldly and publicly say, I confirm the faith into which I was baptized. Well, that's a very different approach. It's no longer a work. It's a joy that we remember the faith into which we were baptized. Now see, those of the circumcision, the circumcision party, were namely those who contended that in order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. That's how we did it back in the day. So you must conform to Jewish law before you can receive the gospel of Christ. They became known as Judaizers or Jew makers and legalists. And the beginning of this party that we see here with Peter continues to grow and develop into a, a very solid group and denomination within the Christian church that began to beat even and, and contend with Paul. So it would seem that even though Peter's explanation today satisfies them, makes them speechless, and even glorify God, but over time, that would soon either be forgotten or dismissed or just flat out rejected. Now, the circumcision party appealed to the Mosaic regulations, which were clear in regard to circumcision and as well as kosher foods. Already, they claimed, condemned Peter's processing from being totally inaccurate. If indeed the Mosaic regulations were still in force, then the only way to the church was through the synagogue. Now, we still, I think, struggle sometimes with a desire to revert back to the ways of the Pharisees, to allow to please God by keeping the law. It's almost like a magnetic pull or a magnetic north that we keep realigning ourselves to instead of the true north. It's an interesting fact to me that there are two different north poles. Right? There's the actual true north on the axis on which we rotate, but there's also a magnetic north that compasses all point to. 
and they're not the same two positions on the globe. Now, if you're from Florida and you're looking at a compass, it's going to be very, very close to pointing to the same direction. But if you were standing on the North Pole, it would point someplace totally different. See, we constantly get pulled into this magnetic north of legalism that we feel like there's something we're supposed to do to please God, to be in a right relationship with Him. That's human nature. But the gospel calls us to, to not point our compasses to, to the magnetic north of legalism, but instead to be focused entirely on the true north of the cross of Christ, on Christ alone. Now, to appreciate this whole circumstance happening with Peter and the circumcision party, it's important to remember that until this time, all believers that were recruited into the early church were first Jews. All of them were Jews. The nature of Jesus was to be inclusive and not exclusive. But these circumcision parties were so, so tied to this idea that first Christians must become Jews. And in fact, not just that, but to be uncircumcised and to meet with uncircumcised people, and even worse, to go into their homes and eat their common food was appalling. See, ties to the family of Abraham was critical to being a part of the family of God. If you have no bloodline, no family tree, no ancestry.com, no 23andMe, then you have no place in God's family. You're not a part of the messianic line before or after. And the thought of eating with Gentiles, with their uncommon food, was profane. And it's this thought of eating with the Gentiles that connects with Peter's vision right before he visits Cornelius. Remember the, the four corners of this cloth were laid down in front of Peter, four corners symbolizing the four corners of the earth, all of the earth, all of the people, that foods that were not kosher, reptiles and, and birds of the air and, and all types of animals and animals of prey, God says these are no longer common, they are clean. It's an interesting thought. You see, we have this word in English that says common, and it sounds like just regular, normal, ordinary. But the Greek is very, very, very different. The Greek is profane, defiled. It's dirty. And what God sees as dirty and profane and defiled, He declares clean. The all-inclusiveness of Jesus who loved to eat with tax collectors and sinners has quickly been lost on the circumcision party. They've now become looking in to the Jews alone. And where are we guilty of doing this sometimes? I think as we have all of the different denominations within our Christian church, sometimes it can be very easy to make distinctions especially how we engage with other denominations out into our community. I mean, obviously, we're the best. I mean, we can form and obey the Word of God better than anybody else. I think that anyways. But how does that look as we engage with the church in the community? 
I was recently in Orlando for a convention called Serve the City, and over 60 nonprofits that were Christian and, and other Christian denominations had gathered together for this to talk about how can we collaborate as the church in our community for the greater good of the cross. And it was interesting, one of the pastors got up and spoke and was sharing, and he said something that really resonated with me. He said, Jesus, when he comes back, is not getting married to a harem of people. He is marrying the church, that we are one and united, not a harem, but a bride. That when we enter into the glory of eternity, there won't be the Lutheran room, the baptism room, and the, and the cat, the cat the, you know, there will be none of those rooms, none of those distinctions. We're all going to get there with our own preconceived ideas and go, oh, that's what you meant. Now I get it. We will all, as one bride, know the truth. But Peter began and explained to them in order. And and here we have Peter explaining what's happened to him already in chapters 9 and 10. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and none of these were kosher given Peter's reaction in the following verses. Now, many of us are familiar with dietary restrictions, whether it be too much sugar or Atkins or keto or Mediterranean or vegetarian or vegan or Weight Watchers, intermittent fasting, noom, gluten-free, dairy-free, we all have these distinctions. And we heard a voice from saying to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing is common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. Common, dirty, profane. How many times do we consider ourselves to be unclean, common, broken, poor, miserable sinners? The enemy loves to tempt us to stay in that mindset, to stay buried in our guilt, to stay buried in our shame, to forget that we are forgiven and renewed children of God, that He has, God has, in the waters of our baptism and in our daily personal and weekly corporate confession and absolution, declared us to be clean. Who are we to say otherwise? We are not common. We have been declared clean. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction, no distinction between Jew or Gentile. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And this is a cultural shift for Peter, to make no distinction. But how we so naturally love to do that. Distinctions are what we thrive on. It's what our fallen human nature does best to see the difference, assess the differences, and weigh which is better, which is worse, and from the perspective of my bias, criticize those who are not aligned with me. And social media feeds this, the comparison that leads to distinction, that leads to discrimination. Now again, something that Jesus was comfortable doing, entering the house of someone deeming unclean. And the church has quickly lost this desire to engage with those on the outside looking in. 
And if you're one of those on the outside looking in and you're looking in long enough and fail to be invited in, then you fail to see the church as a place where you are welcomed and you start looking elsewhere. This could be why those who are parched in the arid wilderness of life no longer see the church as the solution to their thirst. As we consider the topic of distinction today, it makes me consider that I get to preach in four very different, distinct venues this morning. I get to share God's Word with you with the, the beautiful music of, of Eric and the, and the choir and the musicians and, and all of you singing in our traditional, very, very wonderful 8 o'clock service. Then I get to go to Generations, which sometimes is described as preaching into a hurricane of preschoolers. And then I get to go into Fuel and preach the contemporary service and enjoy the Lord's Supper. And then on a Monday night, I get to have a very, very intimate service with a small number of people in the chapel. There are all these different, distinct worship styles that we have. And at St. Luke's, that works. But there's some people for whom they make distinctions and that doesn't work. I, I received a, um, an email this past week inviting me to a, a very, very traditional um, conference. And in this invitation, there was a, a message from the, from the person inviting me that said, I recently was traveling, and in my travels, I came to uh, realize that I would be traveling during the course of a Sunday morning, and I wanted to find a place to experience divine service. And so I looked on the website, in this small town of 11,000 people, there were two Lutheran churches that I could choose from. And looking online on their websites, I saw that one offered a traditional service, a blended service and a contemporary service, and I thought, oh no, not that one. I want to go to the one that's tradition only. And in his mind, he made the distinction that just because they offered three services, that first church probably allowed some discrepancy in their eight o'clock service, probably got infected somehow by the blended and the, the crazy church. Let's just go to one that's just purely traditional. And I thought to myself, well, that's a conference I don't think I want to go to. Because I love the diversity that we have and celebrate in our worship styles. To make no distinctions. Now, now here's where the Holy Spirit changes everything. Right? To make, go from distinctions to being inclusive with the gospel to all nations of the world. Because the Holy Spirit changes things. The resurrection changes everything. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just like it did on us at Pentecost. These Gentiles started speaking in tongues. It changed them. They were baptized, and God saw no distinction between them or us. His grace is for all of us. It changes everything. This moment of recognition, the light bulb went on for them. This new resurrection life flooded into them. And it was the Holy Spirit who accomplished this. The Holy Spirit. And he said, and I remembered the work of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life. 
What an amazing phrase. It's the life you've always longed for, to turn from building your own little personal kingdoms to building up the kingdom of God. And what the Holy Spirit does here is He silences the doubts, faith is strengthened, and strategy is aligned. The church is now for all. This past winter and into the summer, we've been working on a new strategic plan for St. Luke's Lutheran Church and School. It's been absolutely amazing and an enjoyable process. We'll roll that out in this fall for all of you, and I'm very, very excited for that. But right now, we're focused right on getting the entire staff, church and school, aligned into that one single focus so that we are all together pulling as a team in the right direction. The church here was aligned, moving as one. Nothing could be said to counter Peter's argument. His critics were silenced, their objections were ceased, their praise began. It's not like they said, well, let's just agree to disagree, Peter. It's not like they said, well, you got us there, but we want to go back and think about this some more. They were silenced and they were convinced to make no distinctions that the gospel was for all that all God longs to call clean. Now may the grace and mercy that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.